Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. I, as always, am Teddy, coming at you from my bear cave in the concrete jungle of the beautiful Northwest. And um, before I get going on this, um, I'm going to have a little moment to open up about me a little bit. Um, I, I probably sound a little off. I mean, I'm a little, I'm a little off my game right now. I uh, I just had my first major depression event, I guess you could say, in a very long time. So I just want to take this time to say, tell anybody, don't be afraid to reach out. You know, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how lost, hopeless insignificant don't let it win you know i i went through a horrible time after one of the highest highs i had one of my lowest lows and it almost cost me everything um so yeah if you know if you're in a place and you you just need someone to talk to find someone reach out um hell my pod, you know, message me at the podcast, you know, um, even if it's sometimes even just writing out an email or writing something out helps. Um, you know, so yeah, if you, if you, if you're in a, a bad place and you want to reach out to someone, email me, um, it's standstrongcast at gmail.com. Um, and if you're somebody who just knows someone who's in de- who who suffers from depression, don't don't hesitate to just every now and then message them and ask them, "Are you okay?" It's amazing how much that message can mean to somebody when they're in a bad place. That out of the way, I'm going to do my best to push together a, a an episode here. Um, like I said, I'm probably going to be a loss, so I'll probably stutter a lot. I can't guarantee anything. Um, so yeah, uh, today I'm going to be talking about um, just some stuff that, um, albums that I really feel get kind of overlooked. Some of these because of the, the situation of when they were, how they were released, or... Some of them are just bands that a lot of people haven't heard of. Um, in fact, I know of at least one of these. I don't. I, I I mention I mention their name, and most people don't even know who they are. But they've had such a an impact on me that I've got them tattooed on me. Um. Anyways, so let's dive into this. Albums I feel need more attention, or you can say underrated. I understand this is going to be very subjective, because I've already had conversations about one of these albums where it's a very subjective thing. Um, so mileage may vary. You know, t- This is just to me, um, but I'm going to start with the band I was m- mentioning that I don't even know too many people who actually even know of, and that is a band called Full Devil Jacket. Um, I do not have where they came out of written down, um, but they were released in 2000, um, by Def Jam, which is weird to me. I still always forget every now and then that Def Jam actually produced, uh, metal rock and metal albums. But, um, anyways, uh, when I first saw this band was, I graduated in the year 2000. I'm old. I know this. I'm 41. Um, but I, for a graduation gift, my sister and my, were they? Yeah, he would have been my brother-in-law at the time, uh, bought me tickets to a local concert because Slipknot was the headliner. Um, and I really wanted to see Slipknot and they were touring off their first album. And I really wanted to see it, but it just happened that they also had a, an amazing lineup because it was also the first stop on Tattoo the Earth Tour, which to this day is still the only Tattoo the Earth Tour. But uh, so yeah, it had people, you know, Slipknot was there. I saw Mudvayne. 
I saw the tail end of Slayer and a little bit of Seven Dust, which is still one of my regrets. Seven Dust is still on there as far as like one of those bands I'd love to see live if they ever come around this side of the United States again. More on them later, by the way. Um, but anyways, uh, Full Devil Jacket played the second stage. And they came on, and I can't remember who... Th- this probably is a testament to how much they grabbed me. I don't remember who was on the first stage, because one of those things where you had the two stages like a thousand feet apart, maybe. I can't remember. It was it was a distance enough that you could you could hear kind of both bands but you couldn't really tell what both bands were doing. But anyways, there's something about this band that just caught me. Um, so yeah, once again, their name is Full Devil Jacket, but they uh, they put on a really good show, and then I remember I, I found their merch booth and bought their EP Waxbox. That is not the album I'm going to be talking about, even though Waxbox is, re- is a really good EP kind of just, you know, it, it really does have, most of the songs are the same songs that pop up on their the album I'm going to be talking about, which is actually just self-titled. The album was just called Full Devil Jacket as well. Um, but they have a really, really good... I kind of want to almost say post-grunge, because they do have little... I feel little uh, touches of like the best of grunge in there. Um, definitely a little bit of uh, you know like a Soundgarden... uh, Alice in Chains, that kind of feel mixed in with this more 2000s rock. I mean, but they weren't... Maybe the other thing that stood out was a lot of new metal was kind of hitting at that point in time, too. So they really weren't in that that feel. It was very... um, You know, they, they didn't have a... They don't have any rap influence to it. It's very much just a straight up rock thing. But anyways, um, maybe about... I remember like after I saw them at that show, uh, me and my brother-in-law listened to them on the way, on the way home from the concert, listened to the the EP. And it was just like, it just, it was something I just couldn't stop putting on. Um, I probably went through that EP maybe, you know, 10 or 12 times before I went to bed that night, just cause it was like, there was something about the musicality of it. And I'm still not, you know, I don't pretend to be a music expert. I just go with what speaks to me kind of thing. Um, but they, like this, this, the EP really got me. So I remember it was like, after that, I just kept watching the stores for their, you know, their first, their debut album. And it was maybe a year later. I don't even think it was that long, but it it was it was a while. I know it was like at least six months after that concert. Their their EP finally came out, and or their their first album finally came out. And I just like I I bought it. I bought a copy for my brother in law just because I was weird and for some reason thought he might like it. He probably never listened to that damn thing. But that's beside the point. That's just how I was thinking of it. It was just, you know, something I shared with him. So I bought him the album in case he wanted to hear it. Um, but, you know, it was one of those albums I, I listened to a lot when it first came out. And then at some point in time, I had a musical shift. And I was one of those weird people that for some reason when I had a musical shift, I'm like, oh, psh, I can't listen to that other stuff anymore. Um, so I kind of put it to the side and I didn't listen to it for a long time. And then... When I got Spotify, I was really just digging into, like, at some point in time, I just thought, you know, I'm going to listen to a bunch of albums that came out around the time I graduated, just just out of curiosity. You know, like, see how many of them held up. And it just also happened to be the same time I was working on my sleeve on my left arm, which is a bunch of musical influences. And I found them on there, and... They had also put out a second album since then, but it was like 15 year gap in it because I, I, I never got a full story. I just know like something about the lead singer left because he wanted to try something different and then like eventually came back. But the second album was sadly not good. Like I, I don't care for it. I'm hoping it found a crowd like a, I'm hoping it found people somewhere, but it just didn't it didn't speak to me whether the way their first one did. Anyway, so I found, you know, I, I listened to this album and it became the same thing again. I kept going back to it. It's like, you know, it's there's some there's something in it that grips me so well um, that 
I really just want to sing the praises of this this album. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it it doesn't have like super harsh vocals. I think they do, you know, they do mess a little bit here and there with like mild screaming or grunt, you know, the 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 real throaty uh, vocals. But for the most part, it's pretty clean vocals, and there's just like it, but it it gets across such emotion but at the same time they've got these really driving riffs at points and i mean like i said i'm not an expert i can just speak to how it 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 touched me and i think that's a big reason why i sing the praises of all these albums here is because all of them caught me at some point in time where it just it speaks to me like you know whether it's just different for a band or whatever but you know sadly this is in my head canon this is the only album they ever put out because I just can't listen to that new one. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I, my notes are pretty, pretty jumbled here. So, um, but I'll go to, uh, like some, some notable songs on there would be, uh, like, where did you go? Which is a very strip, uh, a very stripped down, um, for the most part, it almost sounds acoustic at points. Like really, kind of, um, just vocal heavy song. Feels like a song about loss. Um, at least that's how it speaks to me. Um, Wanna be martyr is a little more, you know, a little more driving, a little more heavy. Um, but that's that's another song that just really really works on that album especially if i'm in the right frame of mind um and then blue green day um once again has some like has some real driving stuff to it but also kind of goes a little soft at points and i really like the fact that they they weren't afraid to play with that you know it like i said it very much speaks to me of some of the best of grunge where they weren't afraid to go really really aggro when they need to but they could strip it down to make this really beautiful like almost uh just emotional feeling without having to be in your face about it um i mean of course there's like that whole album front to back just is i think is really good but those are the three songs i'd say kind of stand out with it um really a shame that they never caught on the way they should have um it's really a shame that Tattoo of the Earth didn't become a bigger thing, probably because of how much money it probably cost to have tattoo artists ta- traveling with the, the festival concert. But anyways, um, so yeah, that would be my first one. Uh, next, I'm going to talk about this, this one. This one gets controversial to anybody because I know a lot of people never gave it a shot because of who it is and who's not there for this album. And that is the self-titled Motley Crue album. Um, And I really think this album, the only reason it gets hate is because they released it under the name Motley Crue, which they didn't want to. They were going to release it under the name, I think it was Till Death Do Us Part, was the name of the band they wanted to go with because Vince Neil had left the band. They had their infamous, you know, breakup over... I want to say it was just after uh, Vince's kid died. No, he got in that car wreck. That's right. It was like after he got in the car wreck and killed the lead singer of Hanoi Hanoi Rocks, I believe it was. Um, he wasn't allowed to drink, and he got kind of ostracized because he couldn't drink on the road, and the rest of the band was just drinking it up and doing every drug in front of them and he was struggling to stay clean and they really didn't give him a support, which is a shame. And he, so he left the band and they got John Karabi, which, you know, yeah, he's not in hindsight. He's probably not a great, you know, it it sounds like he's not really the greatest person, but he, this album was great in its own way. And I really think had the record label not forced them to keep the Motley Crue name, and title the album Motley Crew, this album would have probably gone a lot bigger. If they would just advertise it as 
members of Motley Crue and John Karabi or just, you know, a new band featuring the, you know, featuring most of Motley Crue or however they wanted to word it. But what really makes this album stand out is John Karabi's vocals are way different than uh, Vince Neil. They they got away from the party anthems and the you know what what Motley Crue was really known for, and they went to a very way more feels like social conscience conscious uh, lyrics. Um, that and John Karabi introduced uh, rhythm guitar, so he would play rhythm guitar, and that added another tech uh, you know like another layer to the 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 texture of this album. And I also feel like it really allowed them to, you know, some of the other members to really write more musically. Because it wasn't just about just get a song out there that's singing about doing drugs, getting drunk, and, you know, laying women. They really kind of took their time and wrote a, a, a way more complex musicality to this album. Um, and it really shines through for uh, Mick Mars who really in many ways, like I, I, I love Motley Crue. I'm a huge Motley Crue fan, but really he's, he's underutilized in that band for the most part. I mean, other than like, you know, I think it was girls, girls, girls at one point in time, he got to really, um, he got to really, you know, like kind of play with his guitar work, but he was a, he is a way better guitarist than anything that Motley Crue, for most part, what Motley Crue puts out there allows him to show. Um, He's very, very good blues guitarist. Um, and I I remember I had bought I want to say it was like one of the like they used to have the essential albums. Like it would be like 20 tracks from a band um throughout their career up until that point. And they had they had Hooligans Holiday, which is, is one of the songs that I think I have listed on No, actually I don't have that listed as one of my songs, but it is a really it is a really good song. But um and the song starts playing, and I was like, I, I thought I had like, like I think I had it in like a, a rotator, you know, like a, a two or three CD changer. And the song starts playing, and I'm like, this doesn't sound like Motley Crue. Did it change discs? And I didn't know it. But then the lyrics kick in, and I'm like, okay, this is definitely not Motley Crue. You know, why would this, because why would this be on the Motley Crue album? It doesn't sound anything like them. And then it, like, I started, you know, doing my Googles and find out that, oh yeah, like I, I didn't know that Vince had left the band at one point in time. And I didn't know they had recorded an album without Vince Neil. Um, but it just came off so different that I'm like, okay, I, I have to check this out. So I remember I had, I had started digging in and, um, and I bought the, the, the self-titled album off of, uh, Oh God! What was the name of that site? There used to be like a an offshoot to uh, eBay, and I can't remember what it's called now. But it was a it was a great site for buying music and books because you could usually find really good priced, you know, music, books, movies, whatnot, for not a bad price. But I can't remember what it was called off the top of my head. But anyway, so I bought this album, and it was the the Crucial Crew, which I've gone through and gotten all their albums on the Crucial Crew because it has like extra songs on it. Um, but anyways, I listened. I put in this album when it came when it came in the mail. I put this one because I'm like I couldn't wait to hear how different, like how this was gonna sound. And once again, front to back, it is just a completely different album. And or musically, it's a different album. Front to back, really, really good. Really, really, you know, different. And that's why it stands out to me. And that's why I feel like it needs to... Like, if you heard it when it first came out, and, you know, you, you, you know, you were you were actually old enough to hear it when it first came out, and you picked it up, and, you know, like, you put it in and threw it away because it was like, what the hell, what's this? This isn't, the, this isn't my Motley Crue. It definitely deserves a second listen. It's... Just put it to the back of your mind that it's actually Motley. It's called Motley Crew, and just experience it. Experience it as just a different band, or experience it as Motley Crew, and just realize it was just them doing, you know, flexing a different muscle. Oh my God, it is worth a re-listen. Um, like I said, they get, they get a little more social, con- socially conscious with this album. 
I mean, like, there's a song on there called Uncle Jack that, um, I don't have it in my notes, but I want to say it was a, it was basically about John Karabi, you know, uh, an uncle he had when he was young that was not a good person. Um, but you got songs like, uh, you know, Power to the Music, which is kind of them talking about, like, way before where we're at now, talking about how, you know, music should be controlled by the artists and the people who listen to it, not these executives that don't know what they're doing half the time. You know, they just put out shit just to get money. Where the bands are trying to, you know... I mean, don't get me wrong, the bands are trying to earn money too, but they want to... They want to do what's right by the artists or or by the artists and by the, the fans. And... You know, the, the studio system, you know, let's face it, like more modern days you're seeing the studio system is broken and that the, you know, these artists that are starting to get out on their own are starting to make money for themselves. That's the other thing is that, you know, like the artists make no money from the studios for the most part. I mean, they get given the money to make the album and they make like barely anything. And I mean, and I'm, I listen to Spotify and I know that's kind of hypocritical for me to say when I'm talking about this because they make almost no money off of Spotify, but then again, they're not really making a whole lot off their albums where they really make their money is touring. And there's a lot of bands I'd love to go and donate money to by going to the concerts, but they just don't come to this side of the United States very often. And my schedule kind of kills me on that one. Um, but you know, it, it's definitely an album that deserves a re-listen or a first time listen, just, Put, put away your thoughts on what Motley Crue was with Vince Neil and let it let it play as what it is. And I I'd like to believe anybody who listens to it would give it would really see what it is, you know, what it is. See it for what it is. You know, see see the force for the tree, so to speak. Um but anyways, yeah, some uh some notable songs though would be like uh, misunderstood is a really good one. Starts out very acoustic, very stripped down, kicks into the middle, sings. You know, it gets very. You know, gets a little more normal. You know, you bring in the electric, a little more, a uh, little more production. Then it kind of ends with going back to the acoustic feel. On top of having some really kind of tragic lyrics, um, if you really strip it down, you know talking about kids that grew up without parents and you know an old war i want to say one of the one of the stories in there is about an old war vet who you know basically is his life has passed him by kind of thing um uh till death do us part which i have to believe that album that song was only put on the album because that's what they were going to call themselves so like when it got vetoed and they had to go by motley Crue, they probably wrote a nut song i don't know that's just my thought process. Um, and then love shine, which comes down very bluesy and I love it. Um, but, uh, and a side note, after I had found this one, I found out they had actually done like a four song EP before this. That was kind of like, uh, it was kind of like them testing out what they can do. And it was like each, each member of the band wrote, one song of um on the album and each one of them is so different so like you know it was that was the first time tommy lee really showed um what would kind of become like his methods of mayhem stuff and uh oh god what was the uh oh and then later like you know when they did uh, Generation Swine, where it brought in a lot of like mixing and sampling and kind of like a little more of a. I'm trying to think of the words for it. like a little more of a like like a like, little more of a DJing kind of feel. And I mean, like when I saw them live, God, whenever it was that they first like the Carnival of Sins tour, I want to say it was like 2000. 5 2010 something like that. that was the first time the original lineup had been together in years um 
you know, like he usually just did a drum solo. Well, at this one, he like went up into the rafters and on one of them was a drum machine, but on the other side was like a bunch of mixing, like a bunch of turntables and stuff. And that was his, his drum solo thing. And it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was definitely worth seeing. Um, but yeah, so he got to start, but then like, uh, Mick Mars did a, like an all, it was just an, uh, entirely instrumental bluesy, guitar uh instrumental that was amazing like still surprises me at how much you know how beautiful that song is because they just you know got so used to motley crew i you know the the motley crew that they were i didn't wasn't really you know keep forgetting about what he can actually do um but anyways uh, that's a, a little side tangent um so yeah but that one was called Qu- Qu- uh the EP was called Quaternary, I think is what it was. But um, definitely, it was definitely one of those things I'm happy I looked into, and I'm definitely happy that I found this this self-titled Motley Crue album. Like I said, I wish it wasn't they weren't still calling themselves Motley Crue, and I wish that the album wasn't called Motley Crue. But I don't like I, I love the album. I'm unapologetic about it. It's it's definitely one that needs to be heard, and definitely deserves more attention. Um, so with that, we will move on to our third, my third choice. Um, okay. So I don't know how many people listening have heard of the band Kitty. Um, I discovered them in probably around 99 or 2000. They were, uh, I can't remember how I stumbled upon them. That might have been just one of those things I found on like the the discount section of Target, you know, of the Target, you know, music section when there actually was one. Um but their first album was crazy. And then like, you know, the more I dug into them, I found out like, you know, they were 16 or 17 when they wrote this album. They're Can- all female Canadian, well, Mostly all female. I think they had one, they had a, a brief phase where they had a male bassist because their bassist kind of changed a few times. But um, anyways, on the first album, they just put out this like sonic wall of ang, you know, of just metal, and it's like they were they were very def- definitely coming out there like you know what, this isn't just a men's a men's world anymore, and they came out there and blew people's faces off with just aggro metal from hell. And I loved it, but that's not the album I'm going to talk about. I'm actually going to talk about like their fourth album where I think to me, they like, I love their first, I like all their albums, but to me, the third one was where they really kind of, I feel like the musicality really came forward. Um, they were matured as, you know, they were definitely matured as, as a, as a group. Um, uh, but you know, the, the, Lead singer Morgan and her sister, who is the drummer Mercedes, uh, the Lander sisters, just like they they knew what they were doing with this band from the beginning. But like in their fourth album, Funeral for Yesterday, I really feel that they brought they brought forward musicality. Um, Morgan was really experimenting because like on their first three albums, most of the lyrics were very were very like death growl, very the kind of, you know, thing. And it, it was awesome, but you know, there, there's the infamous thing, you know, there is the statement that, you know, how long can you really be angry for? And I mean, but the other thing is it's, that's not the only way you can show how angry or emotional you can be. Um, I mean, Allison Chains is still to me, one of my favorite proofs of that. I mean, you listen to some of their more mellow songs there's some anger and emotion in there, but it's it's definitely more subtle and it works better. Well, they really found that with this one. Um, Morgan really started working more with uh, with clean vocals, and she's got a beautiful voice for it. Which I mean, I've, I'd, I'd heard it in the previous albums here and there, but she found the the balance of that to really make it work the best for them. And I think this is where they kind of, the first album was really aggro, 
aggro. The second one was pretty aggro. The third one, they started to bring in some of the clean, more clean vocals. But this one, excuse me, this one feels like the one where they really, they found the balance that would go forward from here. Um, I can't remember who was on bass at this point in time, because I know they had changed, like I said, they had changed bassists, bass players several times by this point. Um, I want to say they'd also changed one guitarist. Yeah, they changed guitarists because I want to say on their first album they had uh, Fallon and she had left after the first album, maybe the second album. And they brought in another guitarist and she stayed on for the rest of the run. But their bass player had cha- like changed. It seemed like they had maybe two albums at one point in time that had the same bassist. I could be wrong. Um, beside the point, see, I told you I'm going to go on tangents at points. Um, but anyways, Funeral for Yesterday, it was, uh, released in 2007. I didn't hear it till much later, unfortunately, because I kind of fell away that I, I wasn't keeping up with music as closely as I really wish I would have. Um, oh, there it is. Uh. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just, sorry, I'm grazing my notes really quickly here. Um, yeah, and I pretty much hit on, but um, they, yeah, so it was 2007, but like I said, I probably heard it in 2010, closer to when, like, some of their other ones had come out, because um, they had, like, two more albums, I think, after this. Yeah, that sounds right, because I think they had I Failed You and Fade to Black or Paint It Black, I can't remember, it was something to do with Black, doesn't, doesn't really ring my head right now um but anyways yeah i grabbed i remember i i found this one and started listening to it and i'm like it was one of those things where once again i was kind of like okay they they changed up their sound i have to retune my kind of kind of retone the tune the ear for what i want what i was expecting to hear and as i'm listening to it i'm like i really like that they had found this balance because the switch from clean to to you know, growl vocals really started emphasizing better. And like I said, it feels like their musicality had had matured a lot to the point that, you know, it wasn't just throwing shit at your, like just aggro at your face. It kind of like, it took its time. It really developed. And yeah, so it was kind of one of those, uh, one of those things where it's, you know, I'm glad I found it. And it really sparked me to want to find their later stuff, um, their their last two albums after that. And it really, I you know, their their other two albums really make me hope that at some point in time they're going to come back and record another album because uh, they really had it. And unfortunately, you know, uh, their last bassist passed away. God, it seems like probably like five five years ago, something like that now. And the only thing they've really put out since then was they put out a retrospective kind of thing uh, where they did a concert and like all the original members that were still alive came back and did, you know, performed out songs like in in chronological order, actually. You know, they had, you know, these members come back out on stage and perform the songs with them. And it was it was a really good up my arm. I went out of my way to find the album, find the, the concert just so I could. I could see it and it was, it was definitely worth watching. Um, it was really cool to see all the, the, you know, the different members come back. It was really cool to actually see them perform live the only way I could. Um, you know, they're, they're Canadian. I don't think, I don't think even when they were touring a lot, they came to this part of the United States too often. So, um, welcome to my world of music, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, unfortunately that's not my deal with a lot. Um, the notable songs were, you know, the funeral for yesterday, the title track really, really kicks. It really has a, like if, if I wouldn't have known that their basis had passed away after this, I would have thought that this was about that because it does have a very, um, very much of a feel of a saying goodbye to someone. Um, someone that was close to them. Uh, the song on there that really speaks to me still would be everything that could have been. Um, maybe it's because I've, you know, 
everything I've been through the last three years, that's been a thought that's in my head a lot. You know, is everything that could have been in life that didn't, you know, the, the what ifs. And I, I'm working on getting past that. But anyways, um, and then slow motion, which is another good one that just mixes the extreme heavy with the, the clean vocals and the, you know, I don't know, really speaks to me. Um, so yeah, Funeral for Yesterday by Kitty from 2007. Um, okay, now we're going to move on to a band that actually the lead singer is very well known. And unfortunately, if I mention the band, there's a lot of people who will just tune out because I do not know why they hate the band he's in now. But anyways, um, the next one is a band called Moto Grader. And to finish, to, to be the third album on here that has a self-titled, um, Moto Grader is, came out in 2002, and I think I discovered them through a, like, Metal Edge magazine or one of the, the metal magazines that used to exist that I used to, like, love to consume, um... And I remember I had saw an article about them, and they looked like the Urukai from uh, from Lord of the Rings because they'd come out on stage in this like brown makeup all over their body, so they looked very like tr- primal. Um, but like I said, they looked like like Urukai, and a lot of them had like really long hair that almost looked like it was uh, dreadlocked and whatnot. But anyways, um, then the lead singer would come out in all white and he called himself Ghost. Of course, now he is known as Ivan Moody of Five Finger Death Punch, which I will defend to the to the last day as far as I like their music. They're not anything, you know, they're not gonna be anybody that's gonna really recreate, you know, like like reinnovate music or anything. But I like them, and this was the first time I had heard his vocals, and on this one, this album, it's their only album. Um, much like Full Devil Jacket, but they put out a hell of a performance, and it was very much um, in the Slipknot Mushroom head vein, where it's very, um, you know, it does have the the feels of the you know the the driving riffs of of Slipknot and the the theatricality of both Slipknot and Mushroom Head. Um, I really can't because I th- I think Mushroom Head's kind of one of those bands like I I like them, but they're they're hit and miss to me. Um, but anyways, uh, but what really made them stand out was when like, I was digging into them and I found out they, they don't even have a, like I was looking through the, when I bought the CD, I looked through the, the book and it was talking about, uh, like they didn't have a bassist, but they had this guy that was listed as playing the moto grader. Um, which of course is how they get their name. And it was like, the research I could find on it, it was basically this giant machine that one of the members had created and it uses like basically giant like cables instead of strings. And that was what they used for bass, but it produced such a different sound that it made this like very, like to me, it makes a very like tribal, almost like a primal sound over your traditional bass, which, you know, I've been, I've been learning bass in the last like three weeks and it's like, I'm loving that, but that's beside the point, but it it makes this really, really unique sound on top of the fact that then you get into like, you know, who they, you know, like the, the way they performed on stage, it just came off this, like, you know, not, not tribal or primal in the way, like, you know, old Sepultura was where you could hear like old, like almost like Brazilian instruments blended in with it, but definitely a different sound, but it worked, it worked for them. And um, I, I think that the biggest downside I'd have to their, their, the Moto Grader album was the fact that like they had interludes before every song and it just like, it was like, okay, you didn't need to interlude before every song, but you know, you do you, it, it's an artistic thing. I get it. But I found myself, I would just basically skip to the actual songs and I'd skip all the interludes, which were funny because like all the interludes were actually the name of the song that followed backwards. 
Um, and the, 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 the other big shame to do with Motograder is the fact that the reason they don't exist anymore is just because the record label signed them thinking, okay, they're just another Slipknot. Um, Slipknot's going big right now. Let's go ahead and get them out here. But then they didn't know what to do with them. Um, and they were, they weren't just a Slipknot clone. So I, th- I think that was kind of another thing. Was I think they kind of rejected the fact that they were just kind of being used as a Slipknot clone or like their, their label's version of Slipknot. Um, but so it, it really kind of was a shame that like they, they didn't really get the, you know, that they had the word of mouth with, with the right people, but they just didn't get the following because the label didn't really get a hundred percent behind them. You know, they put them out there to kind of die in a way. Cause they put them out there thinking, okay, well they're, 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 you know, they'll be our version of Slipknot. They'll just sell, but no, they didn't put any, they didn't put a whole lot of money behind getting them out there. They didn't put a whole bunch of money behind like advertising. So sadly the band, you know, band broke up. I think Motograder does exist, but it's none of the original members anymore. It was like somebody bought the ty- the the name off of the the guy that created the Motograder instrument. I don't even think the new band even uses the Motograder instrument, but I haven't really dug into that one. Um Uh so like they're their notable songs would be uh, Down, Suffocate, and Wrong. And I do not know how to describe these songs. Because, like, I mean, you, you got you to gotta hear them. Because, I mean, it is pretty much, you know, it, it does have, like, you know, Ivan Moody has a very, voc- a very distinct vocal style. So if you've heard Five Finger Death Punch and some of their stuff, you, you know roughly what you're going to get. But it's definitely a little more... Um, new, I think it's a little more nuanced than five finger death punch, but I also wonder if like Ivan wasn't, you know, wasn't quite into his, uh, his destructive lifestyle before when this was going on and maybe his destructive lifestyle kicked in between this and midway into the, the five finger death punch. Cause I know he, he kind of had a very, uh, public, um, fall with with drugs and alcohol i believe it was um but yeah that's 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 moto grader um like i said if you like if you like slipknot you like some mushroom head because like i said i can i can loosely find some of that that mushroom head but you also you know five finger death punch if you if you like the vote like what ivan moody can do vocally this is pretty pretty similar but with with nuanced differences. So I will, I will always sell it. Um, now we come back to me talking about seven dust earlier. Um, to me, still probably one of the most, uh, dependable bands out there. Every album they put out there to me is good. It's, um, they may not have albums that I think are as good as others, but even their worst albums to me are better than, a lot of stuff that pops up out there to me. Um, but I'm going to go with their third album, Animosity, which was actually the third album I heard from them. But I actually, uh, I actually got introduced to Seven Dust through Home, their second album. And I, you know, God, I don't remember how that, uh, how that album, uh, came to my radar, but I remember I was in, I know I was in high school and I want to say it was like 99 home came out and I, maybe it was the album cover, which looked weird. I didn't really even, I still to this day don't fully know what's on that cover, but, um, I, and I think it was probably also one of those ones that was a discount at the, at target. Cause when I was like the last couple years of high school into a couple years after I was out of high school, they had, an end cap at in the music section at target. That was like seven to 10 bucks for these bands that, you know, they were, they were, they were just starting to, you know, kind of trying to break through. But anyway, so I bought home and home was a really good album. Uh, I, I still love that album, but 
I had heard nothing. I didn't hear anything from them for a long time. And I didn't even realize that they had still released. They, by the time I found them again, they had already released like two or three other albums that I dished. Like I fell off and just didn't hear anything about them recording anymore, putting out any new albums. Um, so I went back and grabbed basically everything after home. I mean, I, I, after getting into home, I'd found their first album and I, I remember thinking their first album was good, but it was definitely unpolished. Um, it's definitely probably one of my least favorite just cause I, I like some of the songs, but it just felt a little more unpolished, like probably not as, as, uh, didn't have as much money behind it producing it. But anyways, um, animosity, their third, third album though was where I feel that like it was the album that that really grabbed me about them. Um it's it's probably to me the one that they've uh just it I don't know there's just something about the album that like front to back I don't feel like skipping any songs. It's just solid. Um in fact, it was uh, maybe a week or so ago I finally found out what one of the songs uh, is actually called. Because on the back, like I think it's like the first album, first song on the album is just on the, it's listed on the back of the album as T-O-A-B. And I was speaking with someone and they, had, they informed me that it stands for Tits on a Boar. So I'm assuming... I mean, it never actually says it in the song, but it's like, to me, it, 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 anytime someone makes a reference like that, it makes me think of an old statement my mom used to make, you know, make along lines of, uh, about as useless as tits on a bowl. Um, but anyways, uh, but one of the songs that popped up on this was actually a re re-release of a song because, uh, shortly after home came out and slipknot started hitting it big and all this, uh, there was a band called snot that toured on Ozfest with a lot of these bands like system of a down, um, head planet earth, uh, slipknot seven dust. Uh, I want to say even Fred Durst or, uh, Limp Biscuit toured with them, like when they were to, they did their infamous Ozfest tour. Um, but anyways, they did a an album. I think it was called Straight Up because the guy's name was Lynn Straight, and it was basically a bunch of songs that Snot. I don't know they were, I don't know if they were just written for Lane's uh, Lynn Straight after he died, or some of them might have been songs that they had written, the band Snot had written, and they just re recorded with different vocalists. But, anyways, um, they had an album where it was like all these guest vocalists came on. So you had stuff like uh, Serge Tankian from System of a Down, Ozzy did a song on there with them. But there was the song that Lejean Witherspoon of Seven Dust recorded on that was called Angel's Son. It was kind of his ode to Lynn Straight. And it was this beautiful song, but the one on there was like, I want to say it was like way more acoustic. So when they put out animosity, it's the song that ends the album. And it is this beautiful song kind of, you know, basically singing about how, you know, they'll never get over the loss of, of Lynn because he was such a, a friend to everyone, but you know, they're going to move on with the, the happy memories kind of thing. So, but it's this, I think it also has something to do with like Lynn had a son, just like either Lynn or Lejean had a kid right after this. And I want to say it was kind of one of those things where they, um, you know, the belief that the, the soul of Lynn straight might've been given to this child or whatever. I don't, I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's me reading into things. Um, Maybe leading reading a little too much into the uh, the lyrics of the song Angel Sun. So of course that's gonna be one of the songs that I mention as far as notable songs, because it ends the album and it's a great way to end the album after an amazing album before that. And I could really give uh, I could really just list their entire album off this one and be just fine with saying that, but um 
But I think the the songs that really kind of to speak to me on that one would probably be Angel's Son, like I said, uh, Crucified, especially more recently. I love that song. Um, hell, I was just doing a walk this morning and that song came on and it just, it speaks to me. Um, and then Beautiful is another good one. I could always go with Praise. Um, the list goes on. I mean, the whole, that, that is, that is legitimately an album front to back. I could listen to it, have no problems with any of the songs coming on. Um, which I wish I could say about home, but like, there's like one song on home that I know drags that album down to me. And it's sadly, it's one that has uh, the lead singer of Deftones on it. I just don't feel like it, it the, the song jives right with the album, but anyways, um, so yeah, animosity from 2001. So like a year after, like maybe two years after the home came out and I just, I'd fell off like really paying attention to music for a while there. And, like I said, rediscovered it and haven't gone back. I mean, I've got, once again, Seven Dust is tattooed on me. Sadly, it's not a, an image from this um, because I didn't want to put just names on me. So I went with images from covers and I went with their cover from Alpha, which is another really striking image, which would be one of them that would stand out to me. Like if I saw that album in a store, I'd be like, I want that just for the album cover. But anyways, um, and that tattoo also gets me a lot of crap from my uh, my ex-wife because she always likes to tell me my elbow is bleeding because it's got like dripping, like has the image is like this really kind of like rough sketch of a person like holding their head and it looks like blood is coming from their ears and the blood drips down. Well, it drips down over my elbow. So it looks like my elbow's bleeding, and she thinks it's the funniest thing to tell me my elbow's bleeding. So much so she had my nieces and nephews going with it for a while, and it got really annoying. So thank you for that one, Michelle. And then just to make fun of that, when I started working on my right arm, I have the V for Vendetta logo over my right elbow, which also drips down onto my elbow. So it looks like both my elbows are bleeding now. I did that specifically as a joke. Um... But I still love it. But um, so yeah, that's Animosity by Seven Dust. Really great album. Um, I highly suggest that one. In fact, that would probably be like so far of the albums that I've put out here. The two that I would suggest you most. I can't lift that. I'm gonna say eh, no. I'll, I'll say it. The two I suggest the 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 best the most to listen to that of the ones I mentioned so far would be Animosity by Seven Dust and Full Devil Jackets. One good album. Oh my God, both those albums are worth listening to. Um, so now I'm just going to go with my, the, the last one I've got going here is Slave to the Grind by Skid Row. And this falls under the category of an album that came out. And I do know people who know this album and love this album, but I feel like Skid Row is known mostly for their first album. I want to say that was a self-titled one. Um, but anyways, you know, 18 in life, uh, youth gone wild. Like they're very eighties metal style. This album was so far removed, even though it was like maybe what it was 91. So it was like two years away after their first, cause I think 89, their first album came out two years later, they released slave to the grind and it is a completely different album. They got rid of the, the eighties feel while at the same time finding a new niche for themselves. It's a little more, it has a little more of that, like, you know, it's it's kind of a good patch in between the 80s sound and a lot of 90s sounds. Because it does have, I, I could say it definitely does have a little bit of a, of a grunge feel at points. But it's just a big departure from their 80s metal sound of their first album. But at the same time, it really brings forward. It still allows Sebastian Bach to deliver some amazing vocals. Um, like, you know, like in a darkened room, he just like, it's stripped. Like there's two, two songs on there that are fairly stripped down that really get hit, allow him to explore vocally. While at the same time you get their other stuff. That's just allows him to be the, the metal singer, the eighties metals. Well, not really eighties metal singer, but you know, 
allows them to do more of the metal stuff with the band coming forward with what their real talents are. Because I really feel like even musically, the rest of the band shined a lot more on this one than they did on their first album. And I like their first album. I really do. I, lo- I will always love it. Because I remember hearing uh, 18 and Life blaring out of my sister's bedrooms. And uh, I remember that one. And, uh, oh God, the ballad, uh, I'll Remember You, which also allows him to, you know, allowed Bach to really step forward with vocals. I mean, he's got a, an amazing vocal range. There's a reason he did Broadway for a long time there. But um, but with Slave to the Grind, it definitely brought forward a little more of, you know, like I said, I, th- I think it, it, it was ahead of grunge as far as like showing what grunge could be, but it also had little aspects of things that were coming way down the line because there were little bits of... I could say there's little bits of new metal kind of hidden in there too, because there are points where the delivery of Bach almost comes off as vaguely rapish. Um, I mean, not really full on there, but definitely kind of a good entry point, midpoint between metal and kind of throwing in the the hip hop influence almost. Um, and yeah, it, it, it it really hits it big to me. Like I, I really like that album. I like it more than their first album, but I do like their first album. I, I, I'm a sucker for '80s metal though as well. I mean, hell, I'm a, I'm a huge Motley Crue fan, so of course I like '80s metal. Um, but I think their notable songs on there would probably be the self-titled song "Slave to the Grind." Really, kind of, <laughs> kind of another little up you to the, you know the the people kind of always telling kids, you know, you just need to get a job and give up your dreams kind of thing. Um, so I, I really like that one. Uh, monkey business is a good fun metal, just kind of in your face metal song. But then, you know, I'll throw it. I threw in a quicksand Jesus because it is a very stripped down like that one. And in a darkened room are two very stripped down. Um, really allow them musically to ex- explore a little bit, but it's also, like I said, it brings a lot more to allowing Sebastian Bach to kind of be out there and really kind of show what he can do in a a way more subtle vocal range. Um, so yeah, that that's definitely one. Um, I will put all these albums in the show notes so that... You know, if, if you're curious to check them out, you can. Um, but I, uh, my time here is done. I've rambled on long enough. But before I go, I am going to once again say, if, if you are in a bad place, please reach out to someone. Um, like I said, this is coming from a place that's very personal to me. I... I got way too dark way too quickly and I almost, I almost lost everything. And I'm not talking like I just alienated somebody. I almost, I almost took my life because I was, I was in a bad place and I couldn't get a hold of anybody. And by the time someone did get a hold of me, I was so, so far down that hole, I was pushing people away. And I'm really glad my rational mind came through. So once again, if you're, if you're out there, you're hearing and you're hurting, even if you just want to send me a text me- or uh, an email, please do so. I will gladly talk to anyone that wants to talk about things. And, you know, I may not know you, but I care. Um, God damn it, my computer closed off. You know, I, I don't know you, but I don't want you to, to be there. I, I, I have reestablished my, my connections with the people I need to talk to. So please talk to someone. My email once again is standstrongcast at gmail.com. Um, so with that, I'm going to do my usual thank yous to spider at five star tattoo for my awesome tattoo work and my awesome my awesome image for my podcast, which I also have framed up on my wall. Um, I am going to say thank you to 
Michelle and Tony for being supportive of me. Um, I don't always say thank you and don't always verbally express how much they mean to me, but they mean a lot. Um, well, so does Spider in his own way. Like, I, Spider's an awesome guy. He's he's always done right by me. Um, and after this last weekend, I'm going to say a, a special thank you to my sister Melissa and my buddy at work Chris because he was he was there for me at points too. Even though I didn't reach out to him at the worst point in time, he was still there for me and he still talks to me, talked to me and kind of helped me get through some of it. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, so, uh, with that, I am going to say good day, and I look forward to you popping, you know, coming back in a couple weeks and talking to you guys again. So, until then, see ya! See ya!